0: Welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show, where you'll hear vulnerable, honest stories that will inspire you to embrace your mess and live your best life. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Caduce. Yes, he is a man with one name. Actually, he has a last name as well, but he goes by the name Caduce. And you may know who he is because he actually had... A moment in his life where he was a celebrity. He was actually the host of TRL, Total Request Live, on MTV back when that first started. In fact, we talked a bit about it here today, even though it wasn't the focus of our conversation today. Uh, But we spoke about the fact that, you know, he was this young kid growing up in Canada in the Ottawa area, and he had this dream of being a VJ, right? Or a video jockey or whatever you want to call it. Back in the day, this was like, there was only like a handful of people in the world that actually did this. And he ended up getting his dream job, the kind of job that any kid would have aspired to. He was the guy that got it. And while he has a bunch of gratitude for that experience. He also saw what it was for what it was, which Misalignments with who actually he is as an individual. He's an avid reader. He's somebody that, you know, is really committed to transformation. And of course, it shows up in his life in numerous ways right now. And we talked about that. But I think the thing that you're really going to like about this interview is the fact that Caduce is authentic. He's real. He understands exactly this obsession that society has with the likes and the comments and the shares and all the things that. I think sometimes we we judge ourselves based on, you know, how popular are we? It kind of goes back to a time of pre-social media, which, of course, when he was on TV, it was pre-social media, and how it's just a distorted view as to our own self-worth. And we dove deep into that and had that conversation. Um, and, of course, I explained the, the background of how I actually met Caduce and the ripple effect of change and the ripple effect of of impact and transformation that he created uh, by actually enrolling my uh, angel. So we refer to these uh, people as angels that enroll you into these transformational programs, but he enrolled my angel, which was Lewis Howes, into a program. And then Lewis, of course, enrolled me. And I wouldn't be the person that I am today if not for all of those experiences. And really, Caduceus is the one that kind of created that chain of events. So much gratitude for this man. Um, really was looking forward to having this conversation, and it did not disappoint. I think you're going to get a ton of value out of this, and please do go follow this guy at the end of this interview as well. I'm going to have everything linked up uh, in the show notes for this episode. So let's go ahead and give it a listen. All right, Caduce, welcome to my show. It's so great to have you here, my friend. Thank you, Trevor. It's funny
1: hearing the word show in the context of a podcast, which is yeah. like the antithesis of a show. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, people it, call it a show still. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, no, it's funny you say that though, because when I first decided to launch a podcast, I actually played around with the idea of like, what is this exactly? Like, is it a podcast? Is this a YouTube channel play? Is this all the above? Is this just literally an expression place for me to be able to have cool conversations and share them with my kids 20 years from now. And I was like, oh, that last piece there. So I was like, yeah, it's a show, man. It's my show, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I just think about the word show a lot because I was in showbiz for so long. Of course. And I actually nerd out about this type of stuff all the time. And I I think of the show as classically a show. Like it's a freaking presentation of reality. It's not actually reality versus what I think podcasting is so special for which is dropping us into a real conversation
0: Mm. yes it's like a reality show i guess but actually real conversations as opposed to maybe some of the fake stuff that you see in the reality shows and the posing and
1: yeah ideally it's not like a confessional where a producer slips the person in front of the camera mickey to get them drunk and say something (laughs) crazy
0: Dude, it sounds like you got some stories there. And you know what? Honestly, it's it's so great to have you here. Obviously, um, you and I just tried to record this a couple of different times on a few different platforms and had some frustrating moments with microphones and that type of thing. And like <laughs> this stuff can't be scripted, man. Like I literally know that my titles of every podcast episode that I do, as well as the conversations I'm going to have, are going to just naturally flow. And I already know the title on this one. When life doesn't go as planned, right? <laughs> totally, totally. The tech <laughs> that doesn't could be work. the that, and that could be the title of my
1: book. You know what I mean? It really is that. It, it was such a yes. journey to get
0: here and, and to be in this
1: conversation recording after all.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and that and that's exactly what I mean too, is like, you know, yes, tech issues, of course, but like On my end, even here too, like a guy fired up his Harley when we were trying to sort all these things out, and it was just like, I was like, "Come on, are you serious?" You know. (laughs) And then, yeah, I I I can't wait to get into just introducing you to my network and talking about your journey to get to this point too, because naturally, same thing, right? Like it's. It wasn't as planned, but I'm sure you probably look back at it and go, it was perfect. But it, it took a lot of messy moments to get to that Oof. point, didn't it?
1: Ooh, very, very messy. Yeah. <laughs> very messy. But, you know, it, it is interesting to look back and have the hindsight and the benefit of that 2020 sort of vision. And it, it's been incredible. It's It's been a lot of, of winding roads, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think as we get older and we start to really understand the intention being the utmost importance, the details don't matter as much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to get into some of the details here today because I want um, you an opportunity to just explain that story to people so that they get to know who you are as a person. But just to give everybody a little bit of context as well, we met about seven years ago or so. And It was at an experience that we both shared, but at different times. Caduce enrolled somebody that enrolled me into that program. His name was Lewis Howes. And of course, we have that connection there. And and then you were there at the end of that first weekend as the the person that I met with to talk through that experience. And I'm just grateful for you, man. Like you created a ripple effect. I I just wanted to say that out loud, first of all, because if not for you taking that step for Lewis and then Lewis taking that stand for me, we wouldn't be here right now. You know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So true. So true. I love the domino effect there. And this conversation matters. It really does. And I want people to hear your story and kind of where you've come from to get to this point. So um, on that note, one other quote that I always say at the start of these shows and it kind of grounds the guest as well is Renee Brown has a quote that says, one day you will tell your story of how you overcame what you went through and it will be somebody else's survival guide. Yeah. I got chills. It's such a good
1: one, isn't it? That's a great one. I love Renee Brown. I love what she's doing. She's great.
0: Yeah. And with that in mind, would you mind just giving everybody a little bit of ideas to like who is Caduce? So you can go as deep as you want on this. Obviously, you know, you can go all the way back to childhood, but you know, just give us <laughs> how long you us, got? <laughs> yeah, give us the five minute summary of kind of what brought you to this point here and, and it'll help lead our discussion going forward.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose I should pick it up with the thing that most people know me for, which is being a host of Total Request Live on MTV. It was a pretty big show back in the day. And yeah, I basically really big came show, in yeah. and, and was part of a cast of hosts that basically replaced Carson Daly as he was transitioning out and working with Bigger Network. And so it's been quite a journey since then in terms of really finding myself and realizing where I had a notion of where I was going to make my impact. Because I had this idea that coming out of high school, one thing I was very clear about is that media and entertainment had the most influence on the consciousness of humanity. And I thought, well, if my mission is to make a difference and shift people's ability to navigate life, my logic, pointed me towards the media and entertainment business. I was really enjoying music and I thought, well, maybe I could be a DJ and then I was like, well, maybe I can be a VJ and then I ended up on MTV. Yeah. And so that's the beginning of my career and then as I was at MTV, I started to experience a real conflict within myself because I was finding myself in a conversation that wasn't nearly as impactful, let's call it, it as mm. entertaining but not nearly as impactful as the conversation I had just prior to getting the job, which helped me get the job. And so I was in this zone leading up to the opportunity to walk into MTV and land this dream job. But when I look back on it, where I'm sitting now, I think about how powerful that conversation was, the catalyzing conversation that empowered me to actually walk into a building like that and land the dream job. I mean, at the time, that was the thing that most people wanted to do. It was the epicenter of pop culture as we knew it. And so it was a a really interesting thing recently to look back and say, wow, how attached was I to what it was supposed to look like Mm. that I would be faced with a more profound conversation, a more catalytic conversation just prior, and then getting this job and... Not thinking to myself, "Hmm, maybe I should continue along the path of the conversation that got me in this door. Let me just see what I can do by myself. Like, that's essentially what I made up in my mind. Like, I got this. I'm so good. I'm ready to (laughs) light up the world. And I think a lot of people feel like that coming out of these amazing transformational workshops. They feel like, ooh, I got this now. (laughs) Can't nobody tell me nothing. I got this. And then, of course, life kicked my ass. (laughs) And I learned the hard way. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And then over many, many years too, right? Like you obviously talk about that experience of being in the spotlights and having the MTV experience. And that's one of those things that like not many people actually even get to experience something like that, right? It was very truly unique. Um, And I know you speak about this and you talked about it in your Vice article there too, kind of a few of those moments along the way where it just hit you that you knew you weren't down the right path, that there was something that just wasn't aligning, right? And yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to think about that, like
1: that notion of right path versus wrong path. Cause ultimately I feel like all roads can lead to Rome. And our experience of life actually doesn't have a heck of a lot to do with the destination, but it's like that quote, that 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 meme that you saw on my Instagram about how it's right. less about the journey and the destination. It's actually more about the company that you're with along the way. And and I feel like that was the biggest thing for me is realizing that the circumstance of me being in the eye of the storm of pop culture and feeling like I wasn't worthy to be there, feeling like a freaking fraud, imposter syndrome had me in a mm. headlock for the most part. Yeah, That was an internally driven experience of my external circumstance, right? Like the yeah. circumstance was great, actually. Like I don't think of it as the wrong path. I had a lens on it that I would deem as not necessarily the most optimal because I was looking at, all of the insecurities that I could come up with in order to validate my limited beliefs about myself. And oftentimes having great moments anyway. Like that it just was it's inevitable. Like mm-hmm. you know, to, to be in an environment like that, I, I would have had to have been deaf, dumb, and blind not to enjoy <laughs> some of it. So I don't want to like paint the picture of me like being in a corner in the fetal position, drinking whiskey to get through the day. It was not that. It was yeah. pretty enjoyable for the most part. But I would say. That when I look at the whole part of my life that we've, we've we're looking in the rearview mirror at, I would say overall, it's a distinction between fulfillment and fame. So fame for me was being on MTV. It was exhilarating, intoxicating, all the sexy things. Uh, but was it fulfilling? Eh, I wouldn't say it's fulfilling. I mean, it was yeah. fulfilling to the extent that like I put certain artists onto that platform, like Kanye, for example. I was the one that got him on TRL for the first time. I advocated for him to get on TRL. So that is fulfillment, right? Yeah. Distinct from like walking out of that building and having girls scream my name and come up and like put their fingers through my hair. Oh my God, (laughs) Kudos! Kudos from TV. (laughs) It's like great for my fucking ego. Yeah. But is it fulfilling? No, it's like eating a bag of candy. Yeah. It's really sweet for a second. And then you feel like shit. <laughs> right. You know, and so that was that. And so, as it contrasts my conversations that I lead now, it, it's a whole different ballgame. All of my conversations are about transformation, impact, human development, leadership. It's a very distinct thing. So, for me to compare them, it's like apples to oranges, truly. Yeah. They're both delicious in their own way. One happens to be a little bit more sustainable for me personally. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I had a laugh out loud moments reading through that Vice article, just looking through your bio and all that and prepping for our call. And I think Chris Rock, it was, that said like if, uh, you know, Caduceus uh, is a combination of, what was it, Oprah and, and somebody having a baby. You'd, you'd... <laughs> you just murdered that boy. That's <laughs> <laughs> totally terrible. I was like trying blo- to pull it back up here again. I'll
1: say it, yeah. So that's, uh, if, if Oprah and Ryan Seacrest had a love child, the kid would be like Caduce. There it is. There it (laughs) is. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's what I said, wasn't it? Not Ah, even close. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares anyway?
1: Yeah, it it was, you know, it's one of those things that I do realize doesn't even do justice to who I authentically am. Because when we think about what authenticity is, it's not being the middle point of Ryan Seacrest and Oprah. It's being Caduce. Right. You know, yeah. it's like what we all do so much of in this world, especially with social media, we fucking look at each other's social media and then we start to measure ourselves, compare ourselves, potentially even start to be like other people because they're successful and we think we need to pretzel into who they are to be successful too. Mm-hmm. It's a slippery slope. So even that quote, it's something to look at. It's like, hold on, whoa. yeah, Maybe I'm different altogether.
0: Yeah, and the the last conversation that we had it was so interesting, too, because I remember, you know, we hopped on Zoom, and you were on the move, and you were actually in front of a bus, and this bus was, like, green or blue or something, and it said gratitude across the side, and, like, when I first came on, I was like, what the F's going on here, you know? <laughs> and then you're chatting with the guy, um, I can't remember the guy's name now. Stefan. Stefan, right? Yeah, chatting with Stefan, and and obviously, he had his own story of of being in the corporate world, and then... Um, having some experiences where life didn't go how he planned it to go, right? So now all of a sudden he invests in this bus and drives across the country and talks to people <laughs> about gratitude and that that's his thing now. But there was uh, a piece of that conversation though where he was like reading these tarot cards. He's like, and then and then you pulled one for me too. and I, And I gotta tell you, man, like that was another moment for me Honest to God, and I think it maybe relates to what you're talking about here too. Because I don't know if you remember this, but the card you pulled was the dragonfly, and the very first part of that is literally about you are a master at wearing masks, meaning that you know in your case, and I'm maybe putting words in your mouth, but you can um, allude to this if you want. But you know, you stood on that stage and you became what you thought you wanted to be, and you played the part, and it was fulfilling, but it wasn't necessarily what you wanted forever. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you realize that it was a mask and that there was a whole other side to you that you wanted to show up as. And, I, and that's what landed for me is like, it's just another moment of like, oh damn, it's time to start speaking my truth. It's start, time to start really leaning into the work mm. and playing bigger. Mm. What does that mean for you? For me, it's, it's literally, it was, uh, it was almost like a, a permission for me to really go all in on this right here, mm. this show Mm -hmm. because I spent a good eight months, eh, six months planning. And you know what I mean by that, right? It's like, is it a show? Is it a podcast? We kind of joked about it at the start. Is it a show? Is it a What is it? What should I call it? Should I use my name? Nah, nobody knows me. Who am I anyways to have my own show with my name on it? You know what I mean? Like, it's just all that imposter syndrome, the same stuff that you just referenced. So it was just another piece of the puzzle that gave me permission allow myself to give myself permission to move forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: That's it. That's it. That's that's what we all get to do. I mean, it's so funny because we look externally so much for permission. You know, we we look for markers that like gives us the green light to go to the next level. Like, am I good enough? (laughs) Like, this is the threshold or that's the threshold. I mean, when I think about this uh, Maya Angelou moment where she went from being a dancer to a poet, and I think about what that must have taken for her. Imagine a professional dancer dedicated most of her life to being a dancer. And then she up and had this inspiration to become a poet, which is an entirely different skill set. Right. I mean, there, there are transferable things, which is, I'd, I'd say, very valid for everybody's reinvention. You know, there's definitely transferable things for everything that you've been doing versus what you're doing now, right? Like your communication skills, yeah. all the things you've done in business that require that communication skill. Now you're applying it to a different conversation, right? Like, and anyway, so it's just amazing to think about how we have so many things that are transferable. And so this imposter syndrome is a very valid thing. I mean, it's, I'm not negating this. i, mean, I felt it all, all my life, you know? Yeah. But I think it, it's just this idea that we all have so many different dimensions to us. And, and it is important to actually give ourselves permission to explore it.
0: Yeah. And I think it's that attachment to identity. I'd love to dive deeper on this on your side, too, is is obviously you had such a um, public identity with your previous life, with with the celebrity status and all of that kind of stuff. And as that came to a close and obviously there's you know, there's a decade probably of uh, reflection that you can do there. What was the next step for you? Like, where did, where did it take you down? Obviously, I know that you do, you've done a lot of work in coaching uh, celebrities even and in, in how to show up presence-wise. Maybe, yeah, maybe speak to that, like what, where that evolution took you to be after the, the MTV experience.
1: Well, it wasn't nearly as cut and dry as like Dave Chappelle walking away from $50 million <laughs> and saying, fuck you, Comic Central. It was a very, very long transition where I battled with myself quite a bit in the process because it's it's like walking away from a pot of gold in some ways it's the it's the promised land and then to to realize that it wasn't exactly my promised land was was quite a bit to reckon with and so I still did TV shows I left MTV but I still was in the business I just started to explore different avenues so I became an artist development consultant for MySpace Records. I remember bringing Drake in for a meeting. It was his first A&R meeting. And oh, wow. Before Lil Wayne even got his hands on him. And so there was moments like that. And then uh, doing a show with Nickelodeon called Dance on Sunset that was poorly promoted and flamed <laughs> out in one season. I mean, we got a great write-up in the New York Times. They called us like the next American bandstand and me, the hip-hop Ryan Seacrest. I was like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that. But anyway, like those things were all experiences of slightly contrasting experiences of the business. But no matter what set up, no matter what show, I I couldn't shake the feeling. I couldn't shake that I had a bigger conversation to have. Mm. I remember reading Conversations with God. I remember reading The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I remember all of these self-development books that cut to the heart of what I really needed to hear to move my life forward. And education, information, inspiration, entertainment, these are all different buckets, right? And then to come to find transformational work was a revelation to me. Like when I was at this moment of coming off of yet another show that didn't work out and I'm sitting there in my living room, my friend Preston smiles and he'd just done these trainings that we were talking about and and Mm -hmm. he says, well, I just did these amazing trainings and it's changing my life. Do you want to try it out? I was like desperate. I'm like, uh, do I want to continue feeling miserable? No. (laughs) Do I want to explore a possibility that this thing might help me? Yes. And so, that was the turning point. I think about that moment, walking into that training room and being so nervous, it's almost like the equivalent of seeing the girl, you know, could be your wife. I was like, Oh, right. When I'm sitting there listening to the facilitator talk, I was like, Oh, this is every self-development book I've ever read somehow beautifully packaged. Yeah, into the into the most experiential version of all the most profound insights of what it means to be a great human being, and you mm. mean to tell me I don't need to sit through lectures and I can actually have an experience of this stuff and for once actually feel myself as a leader? Oh,
0: this might be it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: it's like I might need to stop dating and start hyping <laughs> this one up.
0: Yeah. So I did. <laughs> yeah. So that that had obviously a pretty profound effect on you. And I'm just referencing back again last night. I was just listening back on my interview that I did with Chris Hawker, our mutual buddy there too. And he was in my group that I went through. And I remember telling him that I saw him have a moment where I was like, what just happened to that guy? Like he, something just unlocked for that person right there. And at first it was kind of like, holy shit, like that that was powerful. And then the immediate thought after that was, why am I not having that experience? Mm. What's wrong with me? What's mm. go- and we had such a great conversation about that thought process, and and it led us down a number of different paths. But um, obviously, it sounds like you had a very similar type of a thing where it was like an unlock almost. Is that fair to say? One hundred. You were experiential as opposed to just the learning component.
1: One hundred percent. Yeah, because it's like a petri dish. It's like an incubator. It's this amazing laboratory where we can actually practice different ways of being in the world. And it's a safe environment. It's one where we're encouraged to explore and and redefine ourselves, reinvent ourselves and and try different things and and, and really step out of the box that we've been in. And so for me it was huge. It was revelatory because I'd spent most of my life on camera up until that point. Right. Which is a place where I mean especially now with cancel culture, arguably not the safest place. Now some people manage to step into that space and and make it safe for themselves by having a freaking bulletproof mindset around what we're doing on camera. I can say we now, <laughs> but I didn't always necessarily have that bulletproof mindset. And so that training really helped me to develop that. And so now when I get on camera, I'm feeling very clear about who my authentic self is and what mm. my intention is, and bringing that alive is so effortless now versus before the trainings where. I was basically a hologram. I was a projection of who I thought I should be for the world. Mm. And so it's a very, very different experience. I actually feel um, wholehearted is the feeling that I feel after these trainings. That's that's the best way to describe it for me.
0: Yeah. is it? Would you say that it's uh, an ownership of your imperfections as well, too? I know for me, that was a big part of it, like actually being able to be vulnerable and then own the pieces of my life that either I was creating this story of like, oh, that was a failure. I can't talk about that out loud. Mm. You know, I went through a divorce in 2009 after being married for nine months. We were together for like six years before that. So it wasn't like a real quick exit, but it was still one of those things that like, I held a lot of shame over it. Right. Like I had childhood experience of parents divorcing and and then I went through it, and I was like, how is this possible? How could I possibly go through this? And, and I would never, ever talk about it. I'd ne- and not, I'm not even talking about publicly on social media. I'm just saying, like, in general, yeah, just shut it down.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's what we do, though. I mean, it's not really something that is encouraged that much. I think now we're starting to see a shift in talking about things and mental health, for example. Those were two words that weren't really uttered 10 years ago wasn't a thing. There was a stigma around therapy. Now it's like the trendy thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I think we're still in a transition, especially as men, to feel like we aren't necessarily men if we have these types of challenges. You know, this antiquated notion of what it means to be a man is to be all together, to just have it all together, always on, able to handle a situation, not feel hurt. You know, it's like, I remember you used to be, to be getting teased in the schoolyard for not necessarily being the most macho man, you know? Mm. Getting called a punk, you know what I mean? If I play basketball and I got hurt, oh, you're a punk. <laughs> really? I got a twisted ankle, dude. It hurts. Oh, yeah. you're a punk, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the culture. It yeah. was the culture. And now I think we're starting to see, finally, after getting our heads kicked in by the Me Too movement, thank God. Yeah. starting
0: to wake up to the patriarch, you know, the issues that come with that. Yeah. Like what's driving you right now, ultimately? You you just mentioned that, like that's obviously one topic and I don't want us to go too far down the rabbit hole of like all of the ways this world is fucked up right now because I personally actually just had a conversation the other day about, I want to be very consciously aware of what's going on in the world and I want to be a part of the difference and the change. But every time the dwelling of it happens and you start to go down this path of like thinking about how, at least this is from my own perspective, perspective of like, what kind of impact can I really make? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I say that out loud because a lot of people might maybe feel the same way of like, well, the inequality with women, like what's going on in Texas right now? Like, mm-hmm. what can I do to impact that? You know, look at what's going on in Afghanistan. What can I do to impact that? Yeah.
1: It seems super overwhelming. I have the same thoughts, for me, it's about what Stephen Covey covered in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and talking about the circle of influence and how oftentimes we think about our circle of concern, which is huge. It's broad. It's 7.8 billion people, mm. Afghanistan, all these things. And then we, we bring it down to the circle of influence that we have, the people that are right around us that we can actually speak with, that we can actually make a difference with, then it becomes a less overwhelming conversation for me. So if I can see that there's at least some people paying attention to my Instagram, or some people paying attention to me at a dinner party, well, then there's the opportunity for me to actually make a difference. And everything beyond that, the circle of concern, I can't, I can't be concerned with that because that's going to affect my ability to actually be with the people who are able to be influenced by me in my circle of influence. So that was an immensely helpful thing to be mm-hmm. able to even see like a Venn diagram. <laughs> you know, I actually included it in my TED talk because I thought it landed this point so well, which is this notion of like, What do we do in this creator economy in this influencer's world if we don't necessarily feel like an influencer? Right. And and so like to recognize that we each have an influence. I mean, if you're a single mom and literally the only person that pays attention to you is your child, well, guess what? You can be an influence on that person. Yeah. So it's it's just interesting to like really focus, focus on like what we can actually make a difference with.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. I'm glad you articulated in that way. It's um Because I, I say things out loud on the podcast because they come up for me, but I think mm. other people are maybe feeling really heavy with it too, right? Oh, for so. sure.
1: For sure. Yeah, I can definitely relate. Yeah, if it's happening in an individual, it's happening in the collective. I mean, we have such a thread that binds us and we all have these internal conflicts and some of us look like we're not dealing with it, but we're all dealing with it. I coach so many people on imposter syndrome that you would think aren't thinking about that at all. Yeah. You think, oh, they got 2 million followers on Instagram. They ain't worried about
0: a thing. Guess what? Guess what? They got
1: imposter syndrome. Yeah. (laughs) Can verify
0: that. (laughs) That was one of the biggest aha moments I had when I started to hire mentors that um, I needed at a time when my life seemingly had so much chaos around it, right? I needed some, Mm -hmm. I needed a guide to be able to, one, just make me feel like I was um, not alone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that I could trust myself. My intellectual brain always wants to complicate things and make it harder than it actually has to be when usually the answer is like, trust yourself, forgive yourself, Mm -hmm. keep making steps forward. Chris Hawker talked about this, you know. You know, goals aren't the ultimates in like self-development, but a goal can get you moving and moving creates momentum and momentum. You know what I mean? It's just this kind of like trickle effect. So you just got to do something and surround yourself with good people. I love
1: that. I love how you just broke it down, too, because momentum is actually the feeling mm-hmm. that we all want to have. I think Tony Robbins talks about this, too, that progress is what actually creates happiness, right? And yeah. So, yeah, and then also the people that we're with along the way for that progress. And then, of course, the destination is generally, what, a Grammy, an Oscar, maybe you get on the Entrepreneur Magazine cover, and then yeah. what? Yeah. It's super fleeting. I mean, I, I just had that write-up in Vice, and I was like, oh worked up and excited about it. And it came out, I read it. And then literally 10 minutes later, (laughs) I
0: had nothing for it. I felt nothing. I was like, that was cool. Okay, what's next? (laughs) That's a great real life analogy though for anybody that aspires to the destination as opposed to the journey. Because you just constantly keep moving the the mile mark, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. and then it feels incomplete or it just doesn't feel like it was worth it or something if if you're focused on the wrong thing or at least that's the perspective that i kind of see it that's the lens i see it through
1: yeah that's so so huge it's huge because it the majority of our lives is the path it's the path it's, mm-hmm. it's the walking towards it and uh yeah i mean i think about that oscar reference like i think about my actor friends and yeah. how much time they spend auditioning and preparing and then being on set and filming and frickin' Timbuktu for two years and then waiting for the post-production to happen and then the movie finally comes out and then they eventually get on the Oscar stage and
0: then the band plays
1: them off in 30 seconds.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. And then it's... <laughs> that, I think, is like the perfect metaphor. <laughs> it totally. Totally. And then it's, uh, what, what are you doing next? Right, you know? exactly. What have exactly. you done for me lately? Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you, got, you have a great time at the after party. <laughs> you get all the photos taken of you, feel real special, then you wake up with a hangover.
0: <laughs> yeah so you you created the the TED talk about this then. you want to maybe just elaborate a little bit just and I'll link it sure. up um, in the show notes and whatnot too. But why did you create it? What ultimately was it driven to serve people with, and yeah, just give everybody some context on it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it came from my experience being right there in the midst of media creation at the highest levels and realizing that there was something incredibly unhealthy about it at the same time as incredibly helpful in some ways on the upside of it. Uh, But I wanted to speak to a lot of what I've been seeing and a lot of my clients that I coach and myself, where there is this unhealthy side of being engaged with media, whether it's social media or media through big media outlets. I think there is a slippery slope when we look at clickbait As a viable Mm. way of going about being immediate, it's a very slippery slope, you know, when we start to prioritize clickbait over our character and views over our values. Mm. You know, And, and so I really wanted to speak to that intersection, which I think is really fame versus fulfillment. And how if we're authentic in the way we engage in social media, it can be incredibly fulfilling. But if we're playing that game that says something like, if this post doesn't perform, then I need to augment my strategy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, versus how does this feel? Does this feel like what's true for me? Does this yeah. feel like it's gonna be valuable for the people that see it? Right? Is this an integrity? You know, those are the questions that I really want people to start focusing on. And so the talk was really my story about how essentially I feel I feel like I ended up falling off the side of a cliff with my lack of integrity in certain moments. Now, anybody watching didn't have that experience. Most people were like, What do you mean? You were great on MTV. But internally, there was a lot of moments where I felt myself selling out. And I'll never forget what Q-Tip said to me. When I first started MTV, I bumped in a Q tip from a tribe called Quest, which is actually a poster on my wall right here. Yeah. And Q tip said to me, I asked him, Hey, do you have any advice for me? I just started MTV. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm a fish out of water here. And he goes, Well, just remember, you're gonna be met with a lot of decisions to make, and that it's important. All of it matters. How you decide matters. So if a wardrobe person comes to you with a certain kind of outfit that you wouldn't necessarily be a hell yes to, but you say yes? Well, that's how you end up losing your integrity bit by bit by bit. Mm. And then one day you'll end up looking in the mirror and you won't recognize yourself. Yep. And so sure enough, even with advice from Q-tip, I went down the road anyway, ended up wearing some shit. I look back on it. I'm like, wow, that was like, mc hammer must feel like that looking back at the hammer pants you know it was just like yeah. wild levels of choices that i don't think i was necessarily grounded in my authenticity for so the talk is really taking people through that journey of like what happens what happens when we actually play that clickbait game on some level yeah and 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 you know it's kind of a cautionary tale in that way uh and then also the upside of like where i found redemption and my purpose and and being able to actually identify a compass that was deeper than all the social norms and status quo and the things that we're fed to believe about success.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to link it up. I think everybody listening or watching this needs to go check it out too, especially in, you know, I, I don't know if everybody relates to being an influencer or even aspiring to be an influencer, but the way that you referenced it earlier around the fact that, look, we're all influencers. It's just like I say with on the sales side of things, it's like we're all in sales, like you're selling mm. you and who you are to your partner mm. to your you know to your client base, whatever it is, same thing on the influence side, even if it's just your kids or your partner or one person that comes across your space in the Starbucks lineup one day, you know, yeah, yeah,
1: it's, it's powerful
0: and yeah. it matters, yeah, it totally um. Does. I've got a handful of questions here to wrap us up that I call the one thing lightning round. Okay. So I say lightning round, but it doesn't need to be like one word answers. You can you know take a minute or two to, to elaborate on your answers, feel free. Okay. Sound good?
1: Yeah, sounds great.
0: All right, so here we go. Who is one person or mentor that has been the most influential in your life all time?
1: Oh, wow. That's a tough one for me because that mentor is someone who I've actually since fallen out with Mm. so it's it's a bittersweet thing to talk about him but he definitely made a major major difference with me and one day we ended up having a miscommunication that spiraled into us not communicating like we used to but um, we spent about four years in a very very intimate dynamic relationship where we would essentially lead leadership teams like we would have these programs you know them dedicated to supporting people and developing their leadership Yep, And I was right there alongside him. I was his apprentice, you know, and, and, you know, he would call me his number one protege. And it was all very inspiring until it wasn't, you know, Yeah, Uh, but I I don't look back on that time and, and feel like it didn't make a difference just because of how it ended. Mm. You know, there's a distinction in that, like, you know, just because things end doesn't mean that the thing wasn't valuable. And, yeah. and so this was huge for me. And, uh, for a while there it was, it hurt. I mean, it really hurt. Uh, it was actually going into the pandemic. That's what my first moment in the pandemic was processing was, was how did I just fall out with this amazing mentor of mine
0: for like mm.
1: five years? You know, we, we had so many tours together in these leadership trainings and, you know, that's why you could just never, never know where the path is going to lead. And, And sometimes people are in your life for a season and a reason, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, fitting back to the theme of your life didn't go as planned. (laughs) Now what? Right? Like I say, the title of this interview is basically writing itself. Yeah. Next question is what or who is one person or mentor that you would say is most influential in your life right now in this moment? Chris Hawker. Hmm. Yeah, Chris
1: is really supporting me to be able to facilitate a training that I find to be the most profound training I've ever taken. It was the the thing that opened me up to the other trainings in this series of workshops which we've taken that we've been talking a lot about. This could also be a title for this talk: is you know go yeah. to this training. Uh, <laughs> it's Absolutely, like a big promo for that training, but it really is powerful. And this is the first in that series of workshops and. It's called the Discovery Training. And Chris Hawker happens to be an incredible facilitator of this particular training. So right now, I'm in the midst of a mentorship specifically to be able to deliver on this training. And so uh, it's, it's been a blessing to see him work and get to learn from him and get the ball thrown at me and able to you know, shoot my shots in that context. And it's been yeah. an, an honor, truly.
0: Yeah, uh, you're going to be amazing at it, man. I, I just you. know it. And Chris is an awesome dude, too. Shout out to Chris. All right. Next question is what is one philanthropic cause that means the most to you and why?
1: Wow. Well, right now I'm in the midst of developing something, which maybe by the time this airs, will be available for black men to be able to have a men's group that Mm. they can find support and solidarity and Vulnerability in, and a lot of healing in. I've found men's groups to be a, such an important cog in the wheel of my transformation. You know, there's something about being around men who are also having these unique challenges, and and you know, specifically for for entrepreneurs and, and the folks that I'm friends with, we've had this group for the past year and a half. I started it after what happened to Ahmad Arbery, and then mm. George Floyd. I doubled down because I realized if we're in America and we feel like we essentially don't belong based on some of these things that we're all now getting to witness in, in high definition. We get to have some solidarity around it and some real support so that we always feel like at least we belong within this men's group and that at least we yeah. can lean on each other. And so it's something that I, I named inspired by Dr. Martin Luther King and the lineage of black men and women uh, as royalty from Africa you know mm-hmm. we were we were kings and queens before we were stripped away from our, our our land and brought to America as slaves, right So we call this group King's Council, and so that's the thing that I'm most passionate about right now. I love it,
0: man. I'm actually a part of a a men's group on Mondays that I just joined about three, four months ago, found by a couple of guys that I've known for the better part of a decade, and it's literally a space where you have all kinds of different people from all over the world, different colors, different, you know, some are grandparents, some are still trying to navigate, just getting out of school. And you just share and you're seen and you're heard. You're not judged. There's no coaching. It's just literally a space. I didn't know I needed it until I showed up at it. It was powerful, man. And it's, uh, I'm excited for you on that because there's there's a lot there's a lot of power there. There's a lot of power there when you create a community in a group like that. Oh,
1: it's the best, man. It's the best. Yeah. I mean, it's like love and action, right? To be listened to that way. Mm -hmm. It's it's really powerful. We all need a space to externally process this stuff that we typically just grapple with on our own. You know, we have these thoughts that freaking run through our head and grapple with in this sort of silent suffering and yeah, so be able to share it out and feel like the shame is just melting away as we share it and get received and honored by peers. It's the best. the best. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Well, let me know what I can do to serve you to spread that word, too. That's another big part of what I'm doing here, right? Amazing. What is one thing you are most grateful for right now? Man, I'm so
1: grateful for... This conversation, I'm also grateful for my partner, Carolyn. She's an amazing woman. And she's seen me through a really challenging phase coming off a divorce and this Mm. professional divorce of sorts with this ex-mentor of mine. And so coming off of a lot of loss, like real personal relationships that, that were really huge for me. And so there was a lot of grief and mourning, actually, throughout the pandemic. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, personal issues on top of the collective struggle we were all having. And, and her and I have fallen in love during this phase. And so I, I'm so grateful for her because she's been a space. She's yeah. been that listening of love and, uh, and so much healing, so much connection and, and really important uh, growth yeah. that, that, that she's been a space
0: for. So, yeah, super grateful for her. Amazing. What is one thing you're most curious about right now? So wanting to explore more, try and Mm. figure out how it works. King's Council and how we can actually have
1: this type of dynamic be accessible to all black men and have it be something that is so accessible that it becomes popular, that it becomes the norm. Mm. How do we do that? Because, you know, there's a lot of stigma in the black community. Around sharing feelings like this. And especially with black men. Yeah. With all of the hip hop we've listened to over the years. I love hip-hop, but come on. It's about the most misogynistic macho thing on the planet. Yeah. And it's like a bunch of walls in between us and sharing what's real for us. I mean, until Drake and Kanye, I don't know a lot of rappers that were actually vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Now we're actually experiencing that, which is great. But do people actually listen to it from that lens? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. but yeah something like king's council will make it
0: experiential for them. Yeah. Almost like you were saying before, right? You a punk, you a punk, mm-hmm. you <laughs> you twisted your ankle, whatever. Exactly. It's that, right? That's what you're that's what people are faced with or at least yeah. that's the perception. Um Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's exciting. And then on
1: the other side, it's like this whole mirage of masculinity gets popped and we realize, "Oh, mm-hmm. we're all dealing with the same stuff." Yeah. If we just talk
0: about it, we could actually heal. Yeah. Last question, my friend here, what is one, uh, or what is one thing that scares you right now that you know, you need to face with bravery, Whew. really owning the
1: leader that I am and putting to bed, all of these thoughts of not being enough, not being smart enough, not being powerful enough, blah, 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 blah. That's the biggest thing. Cause if I'm going to lead this thing, this King's council movement, I gotta, I gotta own it.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. I love it, man. Um, There's a theme there, obviously, you know, the uh, be grateful, be curious, be brave. It's another piece of what I'm doing here because they're messages to my kids. I got two boys that are three and four and I want them to always lead with those ideas, right? It's like step one, be grateful. That's why I say, you know, when we first reconnected again and you're standing in front of this damn bus that says gratefulness, I'm like, It's another sign. There's something coming to me, you know? Like, um, and then the curiosity is just that. It's just like explore possibility, right? Like, if we don't consider the possibilities in all scenarios, then you close your mind off and then you stop growing. And then the bravery side is just, it's just that. It's just like leap into it what's the worst that's going to happen? We've been there before. And I think you're an example of that, man. Like you've, you're sharing your story and the journey that you've gone on and knowing that you're still in it too. And it won't end, right? It's, it's, uh, I appreciate your honesty and the vulnerability and the authenticity that you're showing up with here and just having this conversation. So, uh, just, just want to acknowledge you for that.
1: Thanks. I appreciate it. This is a great convo, Trevor. Glad you're picking up the microphone.
0: It's time, right? So I'm sure this won't be the last conversation. We'll do this again. And in the meantime, how can people find out more about you, what you're up to? Obviously, by the time this publishes, we can send people wherever you want, man. So you just tell me, where do you want people to go?
1: Yeah, they can come to caduce.co.co. And so obviously, you need to look at the show notes to make sense of that name, probably. Uh, but I'm <laughs> on like Instagram as like well. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm on Instagram as well and Facebook occasionally and- Twitter occasionally, but yeah, come find me on Instagram
0: and the website. Excellent. All right. I'll link it up. Thank you again for doing this, my friend. And like I say, we'll, we'll do a follow-up here because the evolution is, is part of the story that I want to share. So can't wait to share your next version of your story. Amazing. I appreciate you, Jeff. This is great. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Trevor Turnbull Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider subscribing on my YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform and leave me a review. I'd love to hear from you. Now, until next time, remember, today is a beautiful day of opportunity. Trust that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. So be grateful, be curious, and be brave.